Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles and open them to 2 Kings chapter 13 in the Bible study that I've entitled, The Consequences of Walking in Sinful Ways. Because there are always consequences for walking in sinful ways. We're at a place where we're reminded of King Joash that he took the throne at the age of seven. You heard that right, seven. Very young. And as long as Jehoiada was with him, leading him, training him, helping him, he did well. But after his death, Joash's true colors come out and the weaknesses of his, of his leadership. He was easily influenced, and Joash chose to return to idolatry. And he goes down as a disobedient compromiser. He started well, but ended poorly. And it reminds me of the words that Paul the Apostle wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Let me just read them to you. It says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. As Paul the Apostle got closer and closer to death, the time of his, he calls it the time of his departure, he was able to look back on his life and say, you know what, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And that, that's something that I want in my life. Is this something you want in your life? I want to finish well. I can look back and see a good start, and I can see over the years I've stumbled here and I've tripped up over there, and certainly my flesh has gotten the best of me many times, but I'm still running and I'm still making it, and I'm looking for the finish line, and when the Lord reveals to me the finish line, I want to finish well, and I want to be surrounded with men and women. I want to have the ability to influence men and women to finish well, to, to do in the power of the Holy Spirit what is necessary to finish well, and so here's a few things to consider before we jump into the text. Just some thoughts on this topic. Number one, with the right influences, we'll make the right choices. With the right influences, we'll make good choices. Isn't it true? Who you hang out with is who you become. Now, of course, the Bible says it this way. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. But see, we have this perspective that we have enough good habits that will influence evil company. But the Bible says, no, it doesn't work that way. That we literally become like the people that we hang out with. We literally become like the people that we spend time with and we invest life in and we share life with. And so if we choose to have the right people around us, or even more so now, the right influences. 
Of course, in the day, way back in the day, if we were teaching the Bible in the 50s, we'd have to say something like, be careful to what radio broadcast you listen to. And then they invented the black and white TV. And be careful what three channels you watch on your black and white TV. And then it was color TV. Then it was cable TV. And now I don't know what the number is, how many hundreds of channels that we can get over uh, satellite or cable TV. But then they invented something that's known as the internet. And the internet now has all sorts of influences that we now invite into our lives. It doesn't just pop into your life. Your computer doesn't just turn on automatically. The YouTube channels don't just show up. You look for them. You click through them. You listen. You link to the ones with the algorithms that's created for you to listen to and click. And then you watch this one, so click this one. And before you know it, you're clicking through to a place where we're opening ourselves to all kinds of influences. But if we just base it down to the time that we spend with people, let me say this, and you might want to mark this in your life. Jot it down. You show me your friends, and I'll show you where you're headed. You show me your friends, and I'll tell you exactly where you're headed. We need to be surrounded by good, solid men and women, you younger people, boys and girls, that will speak the truth into our lives and help us stay on track and help us choose the Lord when we're teetering on the edge. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says, Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. This is from the New Living. Come to your senses and stop sinning, for to your shame I say that some of you don't even know God. Number two, consider this on this topic of finishing well. Number two, great men and women fall away great men and women, or who we perceive to be great men and women, fall away. They stumble and they don't get up. Have you ever known someone that you thought was spiritually strong and mature? Have you ever been around someone on the outside, they look like a rock? They gave you counsel on your marriage. They opened the Bible to you. They showed up in a time of crisis. And you say, you know, I think that's a good example to follow. She sure is strong. I really need to spend some time with them, listen to them, follow them. But through the test of time and the test of temptations, they fell hard. And although outwardly they looked strong, inwardly they were weak. And here's the answer and here's the insight. Too many men and women, strong and weak, have fallen by the wayside because they lack a true inward fear of God in their lives a sense of holiness and righteousness before God, recognizing that God is God and we are not. not. There's not that healthy awe and respect for God or his word or his will or his return. Instead, there's a wavering fear of man in their lives. And what's the best thing to do to help myself attitude? Take my chances with God. Obedience, submission, a change to get in the direction and align our lives with God, it's just tossed to the side. That was Joash, but it wasn't Paul. Paul ran his race with joy and finished well, running all the way through the finish line. Let me give you a third thing when it considers finishing well. We don't need a reformation in our lives. We need a transformation. We can't just settle for outward change and lip service. 
We need to yield to an inward work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and draw all of our strength and our resources from Him. And it's true, as we're studying the Old Testament, we're learning the believer's life under the Old Covenant. And yet, even in the Old Covenant, God provided the strength and the ability to obey Him. The strength and the ability to walk with Him. And yet today, in the New Covenant, in the new relationship with Jesus Christ by the finished work of the cross, there is a work of transformation that's taken place. A transformation inwardly that is to lead to a transformation outwardly. That's why when there is something seen that doesn't reflect the life of Jesus Christ in someone, we should have people in our lives that question us on it. Hey, where did that come from? And what are you doing? Why are you hanging out there? Why are you saying that? Why are you acting that way? And even today, I see men and women settling for a works-based relationship with God, applying to God through their performance, thinking as if they would perform well, God loves them, and if you don't perform well, God doesn't love you. The more you do, the more you're closer to God. The less you do, the more guilty and condemned you are. And while King Joash did bring reforms, his reformation was not a total reformation as he still allowed idolatry and false worship and all sorts of compromises. And the tragedy of so many, called, so many so-called reformations is that they usually isn't followed by or isn't following a true transformation. And I have to say, many times we make that mistake. Many times churches make that mistake where they're looking for outward changes in people. Even as parents at times, we go for the outward change and never really shoot for the heart of our kids. And so we accept an outward change and then kids learn that. They learn that at a young age. If I just do what mom and dad say, they'll, they'll stay off my case. And yet never really have a desire to do what mom and dad says. And never have a really a desire. They're, they're appeasing for the sake of uh, what they, look, they see as a peace. And so we're kind of accepting that as well. You know, as long as we keep the peace in the house, everything's great. But really a parent's job, really a pastor's job, really our responsibility in relationships is to go after the heart in a person to the core issue, even as God wants to bring us to a new life that we might be born again, living not under fear of man, but under a fear, holy reverence of God. That God wants to do a new work in our lives. He put it this way in Luke chapter 5, verse 36. Then Jesus gave him this illustration, that no one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be torn and the patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins because the new wine would burst the old wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. For new wine must be put into new wineskins because no one drinks the old wine who seems to want the fresh and the new. The old is better, they say. And what Jesus was introducing here really had nothing to do with wine at all. He was introducing the new covenant the fresh new work that he came to do in fulfillment of the law. He wants to bring you all the way, not just to some outward change. Like you start coming to church, you start learning the language, you kind of learn the habits, you you start saying amen, praise the Lord, you're carrying a Bible, and yet your heart isn't changed, it will come out. And these types of things will not allow us, we choose the wrong friends, the wrong influences. If we think we're strong when we're actually weak, If we settle for an outward change instead of trusting on the inward change, it's going to make it very, very difficult to finish your race 
well. And it eventually comes out in the worst of ways and at the worst of times. So pick up with me as we pick up in a new chapter in verse 1. In the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, the king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin. He did not, did not depart from them. So once again now, we're focus is back onto the northern kingdom. As we remember, we're studying the divided kingdom once it was solidified under David and under Solomon, but after Solomon's death, it was divided, and we've been studying the divided kingdom, studying the kings of the north up in Israel and the south in Judah. And so now the north has a new evil king by the name of Jehoahaz, and he followed in the sins of Jeroboam, and wickedness begins to reign again. Verse 3. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, all their days. So, verse 4, Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. For he saw that the oppression of Israel, because the king of Assyria oppressed them. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer, so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians, and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin, but walked in them, and the wooden images also remained in Samaria. For he left, for he left the, of the army of Jehoahaz only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, 10,000 foot soldiers, for the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. Verse 8. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz, all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehoahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Joash, his son, reigned in his place. Now those of you that are familiar, maybe some of you ladies that did the women's study not too long ago, this sounds like a familiar pattern that we saw the children of Israel follow in the book of Judges, where they found themselves in this predictable cycle of sin and crying out to God, and then God bringing a deliverer, and then silence, and then evil again. And that, you see that in just a few verses. That there was wickedness, then God gave them over to their sin, then they're serving sin, then they're crying out, then they're delivered, and then they go right back into it. Bad leadership leads to sin, leads to servitude, leads to a sense of crying out where God delivers, and then once again there's silence. Here with the leadership of King Jehoahaz, there's oppression, and God, I love this, I have it delivered in our underlined in verse 5. The Lord gave Israel a deliverer. Some of you are waiting for God to deliver you, and listen, God will give a deliverer. Not only has God given, will give a deliverer, but he has given a deliverer. Have you met him? His name is Jesus Christ. He came and paid the price for all of your sins. You know what that means, paid the price? Let me put it to you in more biblical terms. That the full wrath of God, the wrath and penalty of your sins and mine, both small and great, all that we deserve was placed upon the innocence of Jesus Christ as he was tortured and brutally murdered on a Roman cross some 2,000 years ago. The perfect for the imperfect. 
You see, when the Bible speaks of in the Old Testament God raising up a deliverer, those deliverers are always types and pictures of the promise to Messiah. That hunger within the children of Israel to be delivered from their present condition is something that's in every human being. Now, it all gets masked and covered and even suppressed in unrighteousness, according to Romans. But there is this emptiness in the heart of every man, every woman, and every child that can only be filled by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And this thing, you know, this issue of bad behavior and, and, and following sin and suffering the consequences isn't just a problem for the time of judges. It's a human problem. It looks like so many lives today. So you're praying for someone that's in this cycle, no doubt, where they have gotten themselves in trouble and they're paying the price for it right now. And you and I were praying for a hastening for them to cry out to be delivered so that God might come and deliver them in his grace and in his mercy. Because he doesn't have to, but because he loves us. And yes, he loves the lost. Contrary to the popular teaching of some today that would say that God is angry with the sinner, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that God so loved the world, that he loved us in our worst condition, that he loves us in our worst condition. And so God loving those that are wrapped up in sin tonight, wrapped in, up in rebellion, wrapped up in making bad choices and paying the price for it. There is a cycle of a sinful life that so many submit to today. Sometimes you refer to it as a struggle. You know, someone will come up and they'll come up after a service and want some prayer and, and we'll pray with them and we'll pray that the Lord will give them strength to overcome. But they'll, some, they'll come up and go, you know, Pastor, I'm just struggling with this. Well, what are you struggling with? Well, I'm struggling with uh, this particular sin. And I'm saying, really? Uh, and I'll feel boldness from the Lord. I might ask them. Uh, it does happen every time, but sometimes I sense this boldness from the Lord. Well, why are you struggling with it? I don't know, Pastor. That's why I'm struggling. I'm just struggling. I'm like, well, you're struggling with it because you want to struggle with it. And then I begin to ask some questions. Do you struggle with the desire to rob a bank? Oh, no, Pastor. Oh, I never want to rob a bank. Well, that's a temptation and sin. Do you struggle to go to Safeway and steal dinner tonight? Oh, no, Pastor. I'll pay for my dinner but you choose to struggle with this. God's given you power not to want to rob a bank, and he's given you the power not to steal a Snickers bar. Do you not think he hasn't given you the power to live in overcoming power over sin in your life right here in this struggle? Oh, pastor, I'm struggling. I'm just struggling. But God has given us the victory. God has given you and me the victory, but what do we choose to do? Listen, there isn't anyone in this room that hasn't described a part of their life as struggling but we need to understand that we choose to struggle. The power of God is in us. He's ready to deliver us even now to renew our minds and transform our hearts from our present condition. He's ready now to raise up a deliverer in your life and mine to deal with the issues that you're dealing with. God has not only provided you a deliverer, but he sent his only begotten son personally to deliver you by name. To give you a full deliverance. Would you turn over to John chapter 8 so that we might be reminded today of the delivering power of God? Before I'm misunderstood, I recognize the battle and the struggle. I have my own. 
And so there are on those occasions, though, where a strong word of exhortation is needed to remind us that some of us choose to struggle. Some of us choose to stay in that place. Sometimes we suffer the consequences of our bad decisions. And what happens? We're deceived. Ultimately, we're self-deceived. When Jesus, he speaks to us of this glorious freedom that's ours in Christ. Notice in John chapter 8, pick up in verse 31. Jesus says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and notice what the truth will do. The truth will make you, what does your Bible say? Free. Do you have that highlighted yet? Do you have it circled yet? Have you tattooed, if you guys like tattoos, is it tattooed somewhere on your arm? The Lord has made me free. By faith, Jesus Christ has made me free. And they answered him. They resisted it, as many do today. We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Is that true? Of course that's not true. They're not speaking the truth. The whole history of the children of Israel is one of bondage. I mean, you go back into the very beginning in the garden, in the, in the garden Adam and Eve chose to be in bondage to the lies of the devil. But then when you think of the nation, the nation was in bondage for years and years and years to Egypt. But in their mind, they were very careful in how they remembered things. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, and here's the struggle. Here's the root of your struggle. You ready? Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. But a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. The very source of freedom, God, had, it, Jesus gave them a word of knowledge of what was going on in their heart, a discerning of the spirits. You want to kill me. My word doesn't abide in you. And you don't experience my freedom. A disciple abides in the words of Jesus. And that's why we gather together in larger groups and smaller groups. It's why we do our devotions in the morning. It's why we read the Bible, why we send out scriptures, why we have scriptures pop up on our phone and reminder. Why? Because we want to abide in the word. The word abide means to stay put. We want the word of God to come into us. We want it to change our minds. We, we want to have our faith built up and we learn in Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. That's why we gather together. That's why we own Bibles. That's why we're, we're seeking to be in God's word. Why? Because we know that as we're disciples of Jesus Christ, a disciple abides in the word and those that will abide in the word are disciples of Jesus. And in John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit that gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words that I've spoken to you are spirit and in life. Have you ever considered that when you open the Bible, you are receiving life? Was you reading the Bible? Even the parts you don't understand. Even the things, you know, you're going through the Old Testament book, you don't quite understand it, you don't quite grasp the content, but you're reading God's Word by faith, and the words that are spoken to you are spirit and in life. As we're going to learn this coming weekend, in Hebrews chapter 4, we learn that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's one of the reasons why people don't open it, because it cuts right to the heart of issues. 
It doesn't take you on a trip around. It takes you right to the heart and cuts right to the point. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we, all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Being changed over and over. And this gives us context for the person that's set free. It's not just any truth when it comes here. If you shall, verse 32, know the truth. It's not just any truth. It's not just a truthful statement. But it's the truth given to us by Jesus Christ. The inspired word. You know, many universities, many secular universities have actually used this verse as a way to encourage their students to come to school. That you're going to come to school, to university, to college, and you're going to learn the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. That is a misquote of the Bible. The real truth is, is that when you learn the truth of God's love for you and his sacrifice through Jesus Christ, you learn the teaching and the knowledge and the understanding of who Jesus is, you will be set free from your bondage, you'll be set free from your sin, and you will experience eternal life and an eternal life with God. And eternal, you know what it means? Forever. Forever and ever and ever. The power of the freedom is in God's word. It's not in man's word. It's not in man's interpretation. It's not in man's understanding. In Romans chapter 1 verse 16 it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God. Paul lived with the knowledge that the word of God, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. But be careful in not thinking that the power of God's word is found in just sitting and listening. Because when we learn God, remember, the power in God's word is sitting, listening, getting up and obeying. (laughs) That's the real, the, the word of God in action. So yeah, it's sitting, standing, and listening, but it's also moving out and obeying. And here they are resisting it in verse 33. They're resisting it. They're kind of looking at it from their own perspective and go, wait a minute, we've never been in bondage to anyone. We don't need to be free. But that's only because they didn't understand their current condition. They didn't understand the fallenness of man. They took exception with the word free. You know, pride can so blind us to the truth and to the reality of the facts before us. They'd never been in bondage, but the history of the children of Israel, they were in bondage to Egypt, to Assyria, to Babylon. At the moment that Jesus is speaking this in John chapter 8, aren't they in bondage to someone else? Rome. There are people that are in bondage to another country, to the ruler of the world, and they're looking Jesus in the eye and say, we're not in bondage to anyone. But the whole purpose, you know, the whole misunderstanding of the coming of Messiah was built and predicated upon the bondage of Rome. Because the Jews alive at this time, in the first century, when Jesus was alive and teaching during his ministry, were desperate for Messiah to come and rescue them from the bondage of Rome. And that's why Jesus coming as a sheep, as a lamb in his first coming, one that was, came to be sacrificed completely through them because they were expecting the conquering king. Why? Because they were in bondage. 
And I think it's a warning for us, it's a warning for you, it's a warning for me of the insidiousness of pride in our lives and how easy it blinds us. We need to be careful not to fall headlong into our own pride that we don't see our daily need for Jesus Christ either. Oh, I'm not an alcoholic, I can quit any time. Well, then quit in the power of Jesus Christ. Oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really addicted to pornography. I could quit at any time. Well, then quit in the power of Jesus Christ. Stop talking about it and yield. Oh, I'm not in bondage to that. Well, then stop and submit yourself to the Lord. He's given you the power. And you can list it. I listed the three popular ones, but you can list your own. I'm not in bondage to unforgiveness. I'm not in bondage to bitterness. I'm not in bondage to gossip or whatever it might be. Well, then praise God. You know the truth and Jesus has set you free. Then leave here today in the freedom that the Lord has given you and his strength. But pride will blind us from that. We need his daily power in our lives. God didn't just give us power to save us. He also gave us power to change us. And there are a couple of technical biblical words for that. First of all, the power to save us is the word justification where God has changed us and we've been justified, where now the way that God sees us is if we never sinned. But then the process of change and the power of God to change us daily, moment by moment, is a Bible word known as sanctification. And so we don't just need power to be saved, the power of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the strength of God, the wisdom. We don't just need it to be saved and born again, but we also need it day by day, moment by moment. We never outgrow the power and the grace of God. And then finally, we need the power of God to make it into heaven, to to make it all the way, to, to, uh, to arrive at the end of our destination, not only to finish our race well here on earth as it relates to men, but to end up in the presence of God. And that's a Bible word known as glorification. And see, the power of God sustains us all the way through. I was just listening on the way in uh, to the office today, a Bible study from Pastor Chuck, and it was so encouraging that I'm going to be repeating it more and more, and that Pastor Chuck just reminded us that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And his application was clear. He says, you know, God didn't bring you this far just to drop you. Wherever you are and whatever it is, God hasn't brought you this far to say, oh, I'm going to stop short. Oh, I may have got you this far. You're 75% there. You're on your own. No way. He who began a good work in you. How many here has God had begun a good work in you? Say amen. Amen. Rejoice in that. We hear all you guys out on the radio and the internet too. So we heard you. God has began a good work in us. And he has promised Not only the power to save you and begin, not only the power to sustain you through it all, but the power to complete the work that he began. He's the author and the finisher. He's the alpha and the omega. God will complete the work that he began in you. Or as the psalmist says, God will perfect that which concerns me. He'll perfect that in your life. It's not on your shoulders and your effort and your energy and your performance and your good works. Let's not forget where Jesus saved us from. It's always good to have a healthy dose of remembering where we came from and where we were, at least in our knowledge, where we were at our worst. Now, there probably was far worse times that we don't remember and we don't even know about, but that's only by the grace of God that he didn't put that in our heads. 
But I was thinking just, just recently, just in my mind, thinking about where I came from and where I am now. And it reminded me of the solid, there, it, it, there's just no way anyone can talk me out of the work that God began. Now I have to say along the way, sometimes I can talk myself out of what God's doing now, which then will cause me to doubt what God might do in the future. And that's where you just get caught up in your head. You got to take every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ because your head will mess you up. Am I, oh, you guys are all looking at me like it's only me. All right, let me hide between this big pulpit, all right? It's just me. Is it just me? No, I hope not. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, <laughs> it's coming. Just listen. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will walk in the freedom of the Lord. Not only that, but you will be free, verse 36, indeed. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. What part do you have in your own salvation? None. God saves you. You believe God as he saves you, as he changes you. Sin is a cruel, hard master. But listen, only to those who serve sin, only to those who are a slave to sin, In Romans chapter 6, verse 16, it says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, that you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Real freedom comes by surrender to Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. There isn't anyone among us that can serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. And I think by way of application, we can learn you can't serve the spirit in the flesh. You've got to choose one. Real freedom isn't really seen in saying, well, I can do this if I want, or I can do that if I want. Don't judge me, brother. Let's just live in freedom, and let's just do whatever we want until we feel like we don't want to do that. That's not freedom. Real freedom is found in not thinking so highly of ourselves and in thinking of others and in changing our behavior, thinking how it might affect someone else, not in flaunting our freedoms and not caring about other people and saying, well, you know, that's just grace, brother. That's just grace. Go ahead and just have the freedom. Really? Where does that end? How about this? You shall know the truth and God will give you freedom. And when he gives you freedom, you'll, to whom much is given, much is required. And to whom much is given, Jesus gives us that freedom in him daily, abiding in the word. It involves two things, studying the word and obeying it. And what do you come? What comes from that? Freedom. Freedom. We'll come back now to 2 Kings, and let's just finish off a couple verses here, and we'll finish off the chapter next time, Lord willing. Freedom. Freedom. You see, the children of Israel were in this cycle. And it's not just judges, and it's not just kings, it's today. This same cycle is repeated over and over again in those who call themselves believers and those who are believers. They choose to be a slave to sin, and God has given you a real deliverer. Verse 10 now. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoahash, the son of Jehoahaz, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 16 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did, 
Evil in the sight of the Lord did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, but walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash, all that he did, his might which he fought against Amaziah, the king of Judah, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Which we'll get into Chronicles, first Second Chronicles and see some of these things and how they overlap uh, should the Lord allow us in the future. But Joash rested with his fathers and Jeroboam sat on his throne and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. In the place of King Jehoahaz, now Jehoash reigns for another 16 years. And again, as we know with the kings of Israel, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Evil was his reign. And Joash also dies and Jeroboam II reigns in his place. And so we learn how important it is to have inward transformation. But I'm also reminded of another thing for those of us that have the ability to lead. Uh, and really, I think my perspective of the scriptures is that every Christian is a leader in some way or another. Every Christian has a place of leadership, that God has called us to be the head and not the tail. And in this world, in this world, a believer has the power of God in them that is far ahead of anyone that doesn't. And so how careful we need to be in how we lead. Because we can be one of two things. We can do evil on the side of the Lord and be a horrible leader. Or we can reign in such a way in the righteousness and the holiness and the direction and the freedom of God. And no matter what level of relationship you have in leadership, that we might be known by our freedom and by our love and by the grace of God. And that we would truly live the transformed life, not the outward reform life, not just changing our behavior so we can get along with someone or changing our behavior because we're in a church now or changing our behavior because we need to appease someone. There's a Bible word for that where you're one thing in front of one person and another thing in front of another. You know what the Bible word is? Hypocrisy. You're right. Or there's a lot of Bible words for that, but that's the most popular one. It actually, hypocrisy comes to us from the Greek plays and the idea of in a Greek play, one person would play many parts. And the way that they would change their part wasn't necessarily by changing their clothes, but they would put a mask in front of their face. And if they wanted to play a female part, they'd put a female mask in front of them. If they wanted to pay, put a male part, they'd put a male mask. And the idea of hypocrisy is to be two-faced or to be masked is really the root of that word. But the power of the transforming work of Jesus Christ helps us to be just one person, real, honest, walking in the power and the holiness of God. In all our faults and all our failures, humbly repenting, you know, we get dirtied up by the sins of the world and such, you know, we, we get all muddied up with our own mistakes, but then we take the Bible soap and we wash ourselves up. Anybody know what the Bible soap is? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you need to take out the Bible soap right now and just confess your sins before the Lord and let him do his cleansing work in your life. Amen? So, Father, thank you for this little section of Scripture that it might speak to our hearts of the reality of the transforming freedom work of your Spirit. That as we study the nation of Israel, we see in your Word a mirror so much of our own lives. And yet now, Lord, in the ability to, with our faith in Jesus Christ, you've given us a much greater Deliverer, capital D. You've not given us just a Deliverer, but you've given to us today the Deliverer the promised one, the Son of God, or as John the Baptist said, 
the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And may we live in your freedom, God, being men and women abiding in your word, disciples indeed, that we might walk, Lord, humbly with you and truly a life of confession, a life of repentance, a life of surrender, a life marked by love and grace and mercy, a a life, God, marked by honesty and fidelity, that we wouldn't be known as two-faced, that there wouldn't even be a hint about that in our lives, but that when the when the book might be written for us, that it might say that we did right in your eyes and we did right in your sight. We didn't do evil in your sight, but we led by doing what was right, by living lives of truthfulness, honesty. So God, would you pour out your spirit upon us in a fresh way tonight? Would you reveal yourself in the time of your word that it might minister to us, God. As we started out, we all desire to finish well. I haven't met really anyone that's ever told me I don't want to finish well. But Lord, we all stumble and fall. We step over each other. We, we don't tie our shoes right, you know, and we trip up and skin our knee and, and um, we feel alone at times and isolated, God. We feel like our feelings overcome the facts of life and We just offer that to you, good Lord, that you would strengthen us for the day, that you would strengthen us for the moment, that, God, you would do a a work in us that maybe we don't even know what we need. We don't even know what to pray for. But you said in your Bible that the Holy Spirit will help us when we don't know what to pray for, with groanings and things that can't be uttered that you, Jesus, are forever interceding for us, that you are forever helping us and encouraging us. And God before us, who could be against us? And so, Father, as we head out today, we sing this song with vibrancy and our hearts are filled with joy. We ask, God, that you would remind us of your presence, pour yourself into us in a powerful and wonderful way and that we would not even as your word says you know tonight we come out for bible study that the word wouldn't return void but it would and our prayers wouldn't come back empty that you hear our prayers and answer them according to your will and so lord we dedicate this time to you in jesus name amen we pray that you've been encouraged by this bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of calvary aurora For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.